So, death defined. Discover, one after another, each of us stops breathing. What then? The first death. A little boy took a shortcut through the cemetery on his way home from school one day. A particular tombstone stopped him in his tracks. The epitaph offered a taunting message. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, you soon will be. So prepare yourself to follow me. The little boy took a crayon from his bag and wrote on the stone, To follow you I'm not content until I know just where you went. Death is the most intimidating mystery that confronts us as human beings. We can help but wonder if this life is all there is. All of us ask the question at some point, what happens when we die? The answer offered in the Bible astoundingly is clear and filled with promise. First of all, Scripture teaches that there are two kinds of death. Revelation 2, verse 11, gives a glimpse. And the Bible says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Revelation 20, verse 6, says this. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. If there is a quote-unquote second death, it logically follows that there must be a first death. Let's explore both. If we notice in Luke chapter 8, verse 52 and 53, this is what the Bible says. Now all wept and mourned for her. But he said, Do not weep, she is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. And now we'll go to John chapter 11, verses 11 through 26. And this is what the Bible says. These things he said, and after he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Verse 16, Then Thomas, who was called a twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. 
Verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Verse 20, now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? What is the word Jesus used to define the state of the dead? That word is sleep. When did Martha expect Lazarus to be resurrected? During the last days, the resurrection. What title did Jesus claim for himself? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Okay, so death is like sleep, and we can expect to be awakened resurrected from death at the last day. But let's dig deeper to fill out our understanding of the first death by, by allowing scripture to answer a series of questions for us. The first one is this, how much do the, the dead know? And the answer to that is in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter nine, verses 5 and 6. And the Bible says this, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. Do the dead have any consciousness of God? And for that, we're going to look to Psalm chapter 5, verse 6. And this is what the Bible tells us in Psalm chapter 6, rather, verse 5. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? Now we're going to go to Psalm chapter 115, verse 17. The Bible says this, The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. When a person dies, what happens to their thoughts. Psalm 146 verses 3 and 4. And the Bible says this, Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. Verse 4, His spirit departs, he returns to his earth. 
in that very day his plans perish. Do the dead return to haunt their houses? Let's go now to Job chapter 7 verses 9 and 10. As the cloud disappears, verse 9, as the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up. He shall never return to his house, nor shall his place know him anymore. Since it is clear, back to the study, that the dead are unconscious and therefore cannot communicate with the living, it follows that those who think the dead are communicating with them are not actually encountering their deceased loved ones. Who then are they encountering in these supernatural experiences? Deuteronomy chapter 18 verses 9 through 12 gives us a glimpse into this. And the Bible says this, when you come into the land that the Lord has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. End quote. Notice in the above passage, the necromancy, or communication with the quote-unquote the dead, was one of the abominable practices of the pagan nations, and that it is listed with practices that include human sacrifice and other occult activities. This is super significant because the Bible tells us that, quote, gods... End quote, that led the pagan nations in these practices were actually, quote, demons, end quote, or fallen angels, masquerading as gods. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 16 and 17, tells us this. Verse 16. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons, not to God. To gods they did not know. To new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. And in verse 21, this is what it says. They have provoked me to jealousy but what by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols. But I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. In Psalm 106, verses 36 through 38, the Bible tells us this. In Psalm 106, 36 through 38. And it says this, verse 36, They serve their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrifice their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood 
the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Back to the lesson. It is clear then that the reason God forbids necromancy is because, number one, it is impossible to communicate with the actual dead since they have no consciousness, and because, number two, the dead we think we are communicating with are actually demons pretending to be our deceased loved ones. All of this makes perfect sense in the light of the fact that Jesus described the state of the dead with the word, quote, sleep, end quote. In fact, the Bible uses the word, quote, sleep, end quote, 54 times to describe the condition of the dead. We are exactly right when we say of the dead, rest in peace, or IP because they are, in fact, in an unconscious state of rest similar to sleep. The second death. What then is the second death by contrast to the first? Jesus tells us the basic difference between the two in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. The first book of the Gospels written by the disciple Matthew. The Bible tells us this, that Jesus said, verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So, the first death is merely the death of the body, but not the soul, whereas the second death involves the destruction of both body and soul. But what exactly does this mean? The Greek word here translated soul is psyche, from which we get words like psychology and psychiatry. Soul is not the best translation mind or even whole person would better convey the idea. It refers to what the Bible elsewhere calls the inner man. And quote, the spirit of your mind, end quote, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. The first death is the common physical death all human beings die. The second death, by contrast, is the complete destruction of the whole person on both the physical and the psychological levels, rendering those who suffer the second death completely non-existent. When a person dies, the first death, the Bible says, this happens. This is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. And it says this, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it." End quote. The dust refers to the body which returns to the earth as organic matter after the first death. The spirit that returns to God is what Jesus called the, quote, psyche, end quote, or the total content of the person's inner being which includes personality, thoughts, feelings, motives, everything that defines the unique identity and moral character of the individual. We have already discovered that there is no ongoing consciousness in death, 
So the spirit that returns to God when a person dies is simply preserved by God in an unconscious state awaiting the resurrection when God will reconstitute the physical body with the spirit at which point conscious life resumes. Now notice this crucial statement by Jesus regarding the resurrection. We're going to look to the book of John in chapter 5 verses 28 and 29 and this is what the Bible says. Do not and verse 28 goes like this. Do not marvel at this for the hour is, hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation." End quote. Clearly then, every person who has ever died the first death will be resurrected both the good and the evil. The good will then go to live eternally with Christ. Revelation 20 verse 6 describes this as this, quote, over such the second death has no power, end quote. The wicked, on the other hand, will be raised to, quote, condemnation, end quote. Not condemnation in the simplistic sense of fingers being pointed at them, but rather the condemnation of the final judgment, at which point they will face their life's record and experience in the psyche all the, quote, condemnation, end quote, inherent in their sins. Condemnation is, in fact, a psychological experience rather than a physical one. It happens in the mind. When the Apostle Paul describes the final demise of those who incorrigibly, who are incorrigibly evil, he said that they experience, quote, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish in every soul, parentheses, psyche, of man who deserves, who does evil, end quote. That's found in Romans chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. In other words, the second death, the psychological weight of their condemnation will utterly crush them from the inside out. In our next study, we will discover that Jesus voluntarily suffered this very experience for us when he hung on the cross and, quote, tasted death for everyone, end quote, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. He endured the full, horrific reality of our sin and shame upon his conscience, as if he were the guilty one, and thus he conquered the second death on our behalf. What would it be like for a human being to suddenly experience the total conscious reality of their sins? In summary, every person dies the first death at which point the body re returns to the earth and the spirit returns to God to be preserved in a sleep-like state for the resurrection. When the righteous are resurrected, they go on to live eternally with God. When the wicked are resurrected, they experience the full conscious reality of their guilt and are eternally destroyed, both body and soul.
We will explore the final demise of the wicked in greater detail in a future study. Connect. In God's heart, there is complete forgiveness for each of us. We can either hold on to our guilt or we can embrace God's mercy and be restored to innocence before Him. Every selfish act a human being commits imposes guilt upon the conscious, conscience. Guilt is debilitating because we are not wired to handle it. If the guilt of our sins is not offloaded from the conscience by repentant acceptance of God's forgiveness, it remains as a psychological weight in the subconscious mind to be reckoned with in the final judgment. Quote, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. End quote. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. God's desire for each of us is liberation from our sin and guilt now, to be completely healed and set free from it all. Quote, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins." End quote. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. While all of us have failed, not one of us need bear the burden of our guilt and suffer the second death. Jesus, quote, tasted death for everyone. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9. As a voluntary substitute, he experienced the dark horror of our guilt so that we need not live another moment in bondage to it. We have the privilege of standing perfectly forgiven through Christ. Experience. I put my complete trust in Jesus as my personal Savior and I accept God's forgiveness through Him. As I receive God's forgiveness, I believe that I live under favor in complete innocence before Him. This promise is for me. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in, his, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Psalm 32 verses 1 and 2. Thank you, God, for your pardoning love.